Ah, the mediocre music of this church. <laughs> you never know what's going to come out, do you? ADD is such a wonderful thing. Well, all right. All right, real life. All right, all right, all right. Gee, what are you doing? You lost an hour of sleep last night. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm aware that you lost an hour. And I want to say thank you to somebody, but you're going to be rewarded later. Uh, I, I kind of made a joke last week as you're collecting candy that if there's any Milky Ways that need to be distributed or, or just disappeared where my office was, just leave it there. There was one waiting for me this morning, so whoever that, pers whoever that person is, can I just tell you that your mansion in heaven, you now got a jacuzzi. <laughs> and you're saying, you know, Gene, we would like a jacuzzi on our mansion. I wonder how that could happen. Say, no, Gene, we know, we know. You marched right down and put that candy bar in the, in the collection for all the candy. Yeah, I should have done that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's supposed to be fun. I do. I think worship is supposed to be fun. I think the praise is supposed to be fun. Being in the Word is supposed to be fun. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is not a drag. We're here to have a good time. The Word, the word of God is F-U-N fun. And speaking of F-U-N fun, you got, your, you got your wristbands? These are not to shoot at me. These are One. One family or one person. One minute once a day. Are you ready? Have you got that person laid on your heart? And for one minute, just one minute, every day, once a day, Lord, your prayer. If you put them in my path, I'm going to get them here for Easter. I'm telling you, we're going to have an incredible, incredible Easter at real life. And I don't want you walking out going, ooh, I know who I should have got here. We are going to have an incredible, we're going to have a record-breaking Easter at Real Life this year. And so you're, you're already working on Lord's Day. I laid something in your heart. You're already, you're already a week in. You're one minute of prayer, once a day, that one family. Lord, if you put them in my path and get ready, you're going to put them in your path. I just say that right now. And that's when you step up to the plate and you find a way to get them here for Easter. We're looking at the feasts, those Old Testament feasts, because they feed right into Easter. Last week was the, was the Passover feast, and the Passover feast le leads right into today's feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, it literally begins the day after. Passover feast ends on the 14th, remember, if you're here last week? This one begins on the 15th, so it's bang, bang. These feasts, these feasts are absolutely vital because they teach us about Jesus, particularly the death and resurrection which maybe that's what Easter is about, huh? And as we understand them, it really kind of gives us a renewed passion about who Jesus is, the, the one that went to the, the cross for me. Uh, the, these feasts are, are the foundation of our faith. I mean, the cross and resurrection, if there's something more important, tell me what it is. And this is the foundation of our faith. So the Old Testament is not like a collection of stories. There's this theme that God took the initiative and gave his son on the cross. And it's preparing them for the Messiah. The oldest cliche, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, this is their picture. God gave them this kind of a visual aid so they could grasp what's going on here, the, the power of the truth. And as they observed these feasts, year after year after year after year after year, for almost 2,000 years, 1,500 years before the coming of Christ, they kind of was able to put this together. And that's why some of the speaking in the New Testament is about that very thing. I mean... It is absolutely vital. It points to Jesus. So, uh, something to clear up. If these, if these feasts are that important, why do we stop them? If they're that big of a deal, why aren't we doing them today? 
Because all the feasts point to Jesus. We totally understand Jesus now because 2020. They were teaching them what Jesus was going to do and who he was going to be. So for us to continue them makes no sense. But Jesus said, I give you a new feast, Holy Communion, which we now continue. And as you think about it, Holy Communion is about the cross, the bread, the body, the, 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 the juice, the, the blood. Holy Communion focuses on the cross. All these feasts focus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So today, Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's Old Testament stuff, but the kicker verse, I think, for this is New Testament. I want you to see it right away. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a real deep theological verse. It says that Jesus became sin. Did you get that? Yikes. Jesus, the Holy One, became sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He took my sin on him. He took my sin. That, that's the agony of the cross. He took your sin on him. And he took that sin all the way to the grave. So that we might be the righteousness of God. In other words, and I, I've explained this before, but let me delve back into it because it fits here. Heaven is a perfect place. So the only way you get to go to heaven is you got to be perfect. And you're saying, I, I, I guess I'm doomed. Well, you are. Scripture says every one of us are doomed to hell. That's an encouraging thought. But it says that you are doomed. I'm doomed because I'm not perfect. All of sin comes come short of the glory of God. And for heaven to be a perfect place, everybody there has got to be perfect. If one person gets in who's not perfect, it, it wrecks it. I mean, the bar is perfection. Give me a break. So there's got to be a way. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. At the judgment, and you're saying, Gene, you're, you're, you're kind of in, in the word. What is the judgment? I don't know. I don't know. i got to tell you something. I don't preach on eternity much because I don't get it. I understand finite. I'm really good. This starts and this stops. I, I, my, I can't wrap my mind around eternity. And in this eternity frame, which I can't wrap my mind around, there is a judgment. Exactly what is that? I, I don't know. I'm sorry. But there is a judgment at some level. And the word says, at the right hand of the Father is Jesus, who holds the keys to heaven and hell. So he's the key. Well, why is he there? Well, we're, we are told that. To cover me. Because while I am imperfect, but I'm so close. <laughs> at my judgment, Jesus says, I took on Gene's sins, and I want to cover him. This is, if, this is me. I'm going to cover him. I took on Gene's sins, and I want to cover him. When you see Gene, would you see him through me who is perfect? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be righteous before God. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So whatever this judgment is, that's why Jesus can make these, these grando statements. He says, I'm the way. Nobody gets to the Father unless... They come through me. And I've got to come to him and say, Jesus in heaven, you're the conduit. That's why my prayer is in Jesus' name. That's why I can come boldly to the Father. Not because I'm worth anything, but because in Jesus' name. This is more than just a signature. He is the conduit. He is the one. He is the one that covers me. He, he connects me to God. He is absolutely everything. And so he can say, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. This is great news. So now we're no longer running from a holy God because we're not holy, because our sins are forgiven in Christ. And God says, as that happens, I will separate your sins as far as east is from the west. I'll cast them in the sea of forgetfulness. 
We can have peace with the Holy God. We praise Him because of that. I can have peace with the Holy God and I can be allowed into a place that is designed for perfection because of the perfection of Jesus. Now, many Christians feel like that's all there is. And, if that, and that's enough. I mean, that's pretty serious. But there's more. The key here is, as I have this relationship with Christ, the kicker is relationship. He now guides my life. I have a real purpose. I have this relationship. Because people without Christ can have good lives. You know, we might as well be honest. Come on. I think we go to people and say, you'll never have a good life outside of Christ. There are people having a good life and going, not true. You can. But the problem is, nothing's connected. You can have events that are really good events. Weddings, family events that are great events, great times, vacations. You can have sad events. The difference is, with Christ, they're related. People without Christ have events that have no purpose. They're just events. And they're living at some level a good life, but at some point when it really does rain on them, there's no reserve. There's nothing that says, you're living out a purpose, and my hand is here, and I'm guiding you. There's something about purpose. No wonder he says, seek ye first the kingdom. Everything will be added after you. And the prayer, let thy kingdom come. What is kingdom? It's the meaning of life. People, people struggle so strangely to me. I can't figure out my purpose. What's the meaning of life? I'll give it to you right now. Kingdom. Go home. No, don't stay here. You're not going to bed yet. Kingdom. Living my life that God received glory. There's the meaning of life. You are designed for God's glory. Everything else, everything else is a symptom of that. You were designed specifically for the glory of God. Living my life in such a way that God received glory. That's living out kingdom. Every piece of my life, my spouse, my parents, my kids, my work, my play, fill in the blank, that God receives glory. Because you are on this planet for one particular purpose, period, that God received glory. And that begins as I come to Christ and say, I'm not perfect, and I've sinned, and I need you. And from that point on, can I live my life and grow in this relationship and live my life in such a way that you bless me, live my life in such a way that you receive glory? Because he cares about you. He cares about where you are now. He cares about what shaped you yesterday. He cares about your future. And all of this stuff, this kind of thinking, is pivotal to Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, remember when we were, ta- we were teaching the uh, names of God, I said, we're going right back to Genesis and Abraham. The, the, the feasts were going to be in Leviticus about every week. Just, just buckle up because they all come from Leviticus. So let's go there right now. Leviticus 23, verses 6 to 8. Here's the beginning of the Feast of Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month, seems generic, same month, we'll we'll get there, don't worry, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you'll have a convocation, that's us, convocation, worship, we all come together and celebrate. You'll do no customary work on it, but you'll offer but you'll make an offering made of fire to the Lord for seven days. Seventh day will be holy convocation, and again, you'll do no customary work on it. Okay, there it is. He's laid out the rules for this Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all the feasts are not bad. All the feasts are celebrations. Remember, remember the Passover, they came together for this gigantic celebration. Feasts are designed around celebratory things. And it begins on the 15th, and it goes seven days, so it must end on the 21st. Now, mathematicians are saying, Gene, education failed you. 21 to 15 is 6. Remember, you count that first day. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 
So it's a seven-day feast. Seven days of remembering his goodness, seven days of celebration, and the 15th day of the same month. Well, the verses prior to that are all about Passover. So it's the same month as Passover month. So Passover is ten, five days, 10 to 14. Again, the math, you've got to count that 10th day, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 10th day comes into Jerusalem, 14th day is crucified. So right after that, 14th day is the 15th day. I know, that was brilliant. So beginning the very next day, the 15th of the month. So by this, we know that these two feasts are interrelated in a lot of ways. Passover almost bleeds right in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We shut down one and bang, we're in the other one, the very next day. In fact, many times they combine these almost into one feast. Not true. They're two separate feasts, two separate meetings, Passover unleavened with a very different purpose. Passover reminded them of Exodus. Remember the Passover, the death angel? This goes back to Exodus, it's the very same thing. The Hebrews escaping Egypt. This is about the difference between bondage and slavery. As they left the bondage of Egypt... Into, into their freedom. I said bondage and slavery, excuse me. As they left the bondage of Egypt into their freedom, that's kind of the cutting edge of what we're talking about in unleavened bread. Leaving bondage to freedom. They had to leave so fast that when they made the bread for the, for, for the travel, who doesn't go on vacation without food? They did not have time for, to put the leaven in that, make, that makes it rise. So bread without leaven is seen as the journey away from bondage to freedom. This is critical. Bread without leaven is seen as the journey away from bondage of Egypt into freedom. And leaven began to to represent the Egyptian style. Pharaoh, Egyptian world system. Leaven began to represent the old life of bondage. Leaven began to represent sin. And Christ now brings freedom. So in Christ, we take off the old life of sin, and put on the new life of freedom. God instructed the Hebrews, keep this unleavened bread as you eat the unleavened bread, which is not very tasty. As you eat that flat unleavened bread, it reminds you that you left bondage and you're now into freedom. And it's clear the term bondage attitude is played over and over and over. Exodus 13, 3. Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For the strength of the hand brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So for those seven days, no leavened bread. Reminding them of, of the Egyptian leaving, leaving bondage to their freedom. Exodus 13.3. But now, just four verses up the street, Exodus 13.7, we add something very important. Take a look, Exodus 13, 7. Unleavened bread shall not be eaten for seven days. Okay, we got that. And, here's the tack on, no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leavened bread be seen among your quarters. We just raised the bar. Very important. We've added a requirement. No leavened bread shall be in your quarters. In other words, don't just not eat it. Don't have it in your house. Don't touch it. So, before the Feast of Passover... Unleavened bread would be celebrated as part of that. So before that, all leavened bread had to be removed. Can't be in your house. Can't be in your quarters. You can't touch it. This is more than just minor. This is the whole house has to be sanitized. I mean, this is spring cleaning on steroids. Everything has to be thoroughly washed, scrubbed, cleaned. This is utensils. This is walls. This is ceilings. This is floors. 
This is furniture. This is cabinets. Name it. Cooking utensils were now boiled in water. Specific utensils were used. Those that had never been contaminated with leaven. This major cleaning is complete. Then they would have the ceremony that we could call search for leaven. The head of the house takes a lighted candle and with the family diligently seeking through every nook and cranny looking for leaven scraps that once, re- once found could be removed. Now, more modern Orthodox Jewish families participate in the same thing even today. Just before Passover, the head of the home will actually hide small crumbs of leaven. Almost like at Easter, you might hide eggs for kids. After the pronouncement of the beginning of the ceremony, the children and the head of the home would, would, would go with by candle and find every piece of leaven that was there. Every possible scrap. We have a, a dog in our home, Heidi. She's a German short hair pointer. She's a big dog, about 65 pounds. And she learns things quickly. We don't know which reward is repeated. We give her a treat. She learns things so quickly. I, I'm convinced she's the third smartest in our home. Tammy, of course, is first. I've been married 41 years as a reason. And then Heidi and then, then me. Heidi knows that when she goes outside, when she comes in after, after going potty, uh, it, it's, she always gets a treat. If we're not real fast, she's picking her nose like, hey, 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 you forgot the treat. Come on. The only, only thing, we'll give her, we'll give her a little, little treat bones. She, she's not real neat. She'll, she'll kick that back and have a great time and walk away tail wagging that. Thank you. And there's this little itty bitty. Tammy's always swiffering because there's little tiny microscopic. She just doesn't bother looking up all that stuff. That's what they did. They looked for microscopic, tiny, tiny, crawling, looking for any possible piece of leaven that had to be removed. Once it is discovered, you're not allowed to touch it. Remember? Not in your quarters, not being touched. A wooden spoon is used today to put it in a bag. And then the spoon and the bag would be burnt. This is serious. No leaven in the household. You can't eat it. You you purify yourself away from it and you purify your home away from it. You've got to keep those two in line. You purify yourself away from leaven and you purify your home away from leaven. God calls us to separate himself to him. Calling us, it's all about from bondage to freedom. This is absolutely vital. Leaven represents sin. Unleavened is bread with no sin. Jesus is the bread from heaven and he declares, I am unleavened. I am bread without leaven. I am without sin. It's all about Egyptian bondage versus freedom. Bondage, life without God's forgiveness, life without God's blessing, still in bondage to sin and still having a decent life, but in bondage to sin. There is no sin in Jesus. He's more than the bread of life. He is unleavened of life. And he can cleanse our life and cleanse our home that holds it in bondage. There are people sometimes so confused about what's real, they don't know they're in bondage. But they are. That's how creative Satan can be. So as we celebrate Jesus without sin, who died and rose. Leaven helps us recognize the price of our salvation because this unleavened bread of Jesus took on sin. He took on mine and yours, the bondage of sin. That's why that verse is so vital. I want you to see it again because it's the cutting, cutting piece here. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin to the grave, raising again as unleavened bread. 1 John 3, 5. And you know, he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Now, the conclusion of the grand finale of this family feast of the unleavened bread is the matzah. This is a type of bread. This requires also a lot of supervision and a lot of symbolism. The bread is the bread of affliction, and it is bruised, striped, and pierced. In that order. Bruised, striped, and pierced. The matzah. I mean, do you really need me to tell you how this fits Jesus? I mean, come on. Well, let's go to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he was born our griefs, carried our sorrows. He took our sins. He carried our grief and sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He took our sins on. He was bruised for our iniquities. He took our sins on. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus is the fulfillment and he makes it clear. He's on the way to Passover. And huge crowds now begin to follow him. I mean, the miracle worker. Could this be the Messiah? They want to see him. They, they, want, to, they want to follow him. They want to see what's going to happen next. And they, they, they give up their homes and they're following him by the thousands. And we have a problem. It's dinner time. And Jesus took this opportunity to teach unleavened bread. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And I think I've mentioned before, 5,000 is not accurate. Women, women back, back then were commodities. You had no value. You were to bear children, hopefully males. Because if you bear a girl, eh, whatever. You weren't counted. So the fitting of the 5,000 is 5,000 men that reached a certain age of accountability. Well, it was very common, like most cultures, to be married. So probably out of that 5,000, most are married. So we can almost double it immediately. And then we have some children in play. So theologians believe the feeding of the 5,000 is somewhere between 12, 13, 14,000. I mean, this gigantic. And now it's dinner time. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, feed them. <laughs> 12,000 people, feed them. Yeah, Phil doesn't know what to do. And another disciple, find Andrew, finds this boy, you know the story, five loaves of barley and two fish. By the way, that's the bread of the poor. This poor boy gave everything he had. Now this is so obviously inadequate to feeding twelve to 13,000 people. You know the story. Jesus blesses the lunch, has them organized into smaller groups, and feeds them. Then there's food left over. This is such an important miracle. This is, by the way, the only miracle that's recorded in all the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only miracle that's in every single one of the Gospels. It's pretty important. And then Jesus makes a proclamation. He says, it's here. He says, I am the bread of life. In the Greek... It's the same verbiage in the original Hebrew. What he's basically saying is, I am unleavened. I am the one that is perfect. I am the way. I, I, I've given you bread. Understand that this is an example of my power because I am perfect. I am the unleavened. John's an eyewitness, and he wrote this down. John 6, 32 to 35. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to them, 
Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the unleavened of life. Comes to me, shall not hunger. Believes in me, shall not, shall not thirst. I, I snuck in the word unleavened because the Greek, that's exactly what it is. I am the unleavened. That whole thing you've been doing for thousands of years, the one that cleanses you and cleanses your house, the one that changes everything in your environment, that's me. I am the unleavened. I am that declaration. It can be worded, I am the perfect, sinless unleavened that will free you from the bondage of your life. That's my theologian, Matthew Henry. Let me give it to you again because it's perfect. I am the perfect, sinless unleavened who will free you from the bondage of sin in your life. Now, now we go to dates. I know. That was this, who laid this out? Let's get some really deep stuff on a day we've all lost some sleep. Brilliant! So now you've got to kind of focus. Remember last week we made clear crucifixion happened on the 14th, those five days of, of being, being tested. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. And now we find out on the 14th, they've been doing the Passover forever. And now the next day, the 15th, begins the, the story of away from bondage to freedom. So we actually can date Jesus' burial on the 15th. Because their days are different than ours. Our tomorrow begins at 12.01. One minute after midnight, it's the 10th. Not them. Their day began at sunset. So their, their, their 15th would begin at about 6 p.m. When Jesus was taken down from the cross, and I'm going to talk to you about how, how they would prepare the body, that all happened on the 15th, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We realize Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepared the body as they took him down at the end of the day, placed him in the tomb. This all happened on the 15th, the beginning of Unleavened Bread. Jesus, our unleavened, was bound up because he'd taken our sin upon him. The way that they would bind up the person. He took on our sin up into the resurrection. Joseph and Nicodemus, important members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. They would, they, their burial process is kind of important. They would wrap the body in linen and a mixture of myrrh and aloes that would weigh close to 100 pounds. Now, when I said myrrh, did you, did you go to his birth? What dumb gifts to give to a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who would register for that at Target? That makes no sense to me. What's he going to do with gold? What's he going to do with frankincense? What's he going to do with myrrh? What is this stuff? I mean, give, give the kid diapers. Give him something to use. All three things are vital in the life of Jesus. They all symbolize something. Someday maybe we'll, we'll get into gold and frankincense because it's pretty cool. But since we're on, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, let's talk about the myrrh. Because now is when myrrh comes into play. One of the three gifts he, he got at birth. It was very important in, in, in the way that they would, they would bury somebody. Once someone was dead, they would wash the body and straighten the body. And then they would wrap it from the armpits to his ankles in, in, in linen. Very tightly, almost like a mummy. Not, not his head, not his feet. But from armpits to the ankles... And Aramaic spices would be used. Aloe was, was the most fragrant. Was, and and, and this, this was a wood they would pound into dust. And they would, they would put this within this linen. And it would be held together by super glue. Super glue was this gummic mixture called myrrh. Myrrh would hold all this burial cloth together. It, it, it really was the super glue at the time. It was a gummy mixture. So all, all of these mixtures... Jesus' body would be saturated in these spices. He would lay straight up 
upwards, hands folded across his chest, almost like we do today. His shoulders and neck would be bare. And after, after the initial, there would be a ceremony where they would anoint the head of the person that was, that was dead. Uh, it was part of the process. But this had to be done by a specific time. And it gets a little weird here. Because they prepared the body, they wrapped it, the, the myrrh, and they did not complete it. And they rolled the stone. They did not put the, the spices on his shoulders and face. So later on the Sabbath, women were coming to anoint the body of Jesus. This is what's going on. This is why they were there. They were completing the process that was a traditional process of the anointing of his shoulders and face. Of course, by the time they get there, the stone has, risen, has, has been moved. He'd hung on the cross, bearing our sins, taking our leaven. He became sin, taking our sins. He took our sins, covered with upwards of 100 pounds of spices and wraps, rolled in the stone. The image is he took our sins to his death. And then, talking about from bondage to freedom, as he breaks free from all of the, the death clothes, as he breaks free, it is a symbolism of our freedom. He that took our sins is now free of the death clothes. He takes our sins upon us so that we can be free from the penalty of death. No wonder Paul talks about putting off the old leaven that was crucified and buried with Jesus. When he talks about putting off, it's, 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 it's the same word as putting off a garment. Because back then, garments meant what you did for a living. If I was the high priest, I'd have a particular garment to the high priest. I come in your town, you would know, Gene's the high priest, he's, he's wearing the garment. This kind of answers the question. Everywhere Jesus went, they're calling him teacher. How did they know he's a teacher? He's wearing the garment of a teacher. So Paul talks about taking off the death clothes, taking off, removing the garment. He even says taking off the Lazarus clothes of the flesh. Well, Lazarus, called from the grave, took off the death clothes. We ought to take off the death clothes of bondage, take off the death clothes of sin, take off the death clothes of what's killing us and coming to Christ to actual freedom because he wore our sins and then took off the death clothes, raising again. So unleavened bread is really about bondage to freedom. Paul gets really down and dirty, doesn't he? He says, take off the Lazarus death clothes, the, the clothes of the flesh. They says, and by the way, here they are. Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, e envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who have participated in such things will not inherit the kingdom. Jesus went from conquered on a cross with my sins to bound up in a tomb in my sins to become unleavened bread, arisen, perfect. He took my sins that he may stand before the Father and say, I took on Gene Tanner's sins and I am unleavened bread Allow him into your kingdom because of me. The only way he can say, I am the way, is if he does a couple of things. Take on my sins, own mine, and then be raise again to become unleavened bread. No wonder he stands before the 12,000 and says, I am the bread of life. I am unleavened bread for your life. The, the feast of unleavened bread taught them who Jesus is and what he's doing. Let's stand together this morning.
Father, for centuries you had them do this over and over and over, that they themselves may be clean of leaven and their home, everything around them. When everything around us, we begin to live kingdom, for everything around us is that you receive glory. Father, I thank you for the power of your feasts that just tells us in so many ways, so many facets, who went to the cross and what the resurrection really means. It means I have a Savior alive. In Revelation, John says, I saw the Lamb and the Lamb is alive. I have a Savior alive on the right hand of the Father that took my sins upon himself and cried in agony on the cross. And a holy one who would not look upon sin, the world goes dark and Jesus says, you have forsaken me. Of course you did. Because the sins of Gene Tanner was on Jesus. And for every one of us, I have a Savior of incredible love. And I just stand back and scream, hallelujah. And Father, if there be someone that says, I have never prayed that prayer. My, my sins are still owned by me. Unleavened bread hasn't touched me. God in heaven, forgive me. Let the unleavened bread touch me. Let the one that is perfect touch me. Take on my sins. Forgive me. Not just that I escape hell, but that I can have a life. The bread of life has come that I can have purpose rather than just going to work tomorrow. I praise you in your holy name. Amen. Next Sunday, you ever notice the Bible says Jesus is the horn of our salvation? That's dumb. What horn? Is he, the trombone? Is he a trombone? Is he an alto sax? You know, Gene, that's borderline sacrilegious, by the way. No, it's not. It's a particular instrument. He is the trumpet because of the feast of trumpets. When we understand the feast of trumpets, then we shout and praise, you are the horn of my salvation. Next week, let's unveil the feast of trumpets. And this week, you're working hard. One, dot, one, dot, one. And every week we have a sending verse. You're ahead of me. You know exactly what it's going to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Say it with me. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Yes. That we might become righteous of God in him. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. See you next week. Feast of Trumpets.